Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Will we ever truly know how many cases of COVID-19 Hamilton might have? Dr. Elizabeth Richardson, the Medical Officer of Health for the City, joins us to talk about that. Justin Trudeau makes another daily announcement today. We should get more details about the wage subsidy program we talked about. And this is a pivotal week in the fight against COVID-19. Has everything we're doing so far making a difference? The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on The Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. First and foremost, of course, it's, it's public health. And the very major concern that many of us have about what's happening here with public health. And uh, if you're looking at numbers, and I think we all are these days now, uh, because of what's happening with COVID-19, uh, they were not encouraging, and especially here in Ontario, and especially here in the Hamilton area. Joining us to talk about this is Dr. Elizabeth Richardson, the uh, Medical Officer of Health for the City of Hamilton. Uh, doctor, thank you so much for the time. Glad you could join us today. Good morning, Bill. Thank you for having me on. Well, let me ask you about the numbers, if I could, Doctor. Uh, according to the, the stats we saw this morning, uh, the number of confirmed cases here in Hamilton jumped to 70 uh, over the weekend. Was that anticipated? That's right, Bill. We were up uh, from, I think it was 52 the day before, and mm-hmm. almost all of that is because of backlog of test results coming through from the lab. I think people had heard about um, how the lab had gotten um, delayed in terms of producing the results. That was because they were short on some of the chemicals they need to run those tests. Uh, there's a worldwide market going on right now for all of those uh, those chemicals and a lot of pressure around them. And so they were finally able to start um getting through some of that backlog of test results. So, indeed, we've seen uh, positives come through from people that may have been even 8, 9, 10 days tested prior. And, uh, of course, all these people had been um, asked to stay in self-isolation, and we're doing that. We've been following up with all of them to let them know their results, whether they're negative or positive, and they've been great. You know, we find consistently that people have been staying in isolation isolation since they got tested so not unexpected because we knew this backlog would come through and that backlog is not done yet it's going to keep coming through now uh, for several days so if people are waiting for test results um, that's why it's because they are delayed in coming through from the lab and if you can be patient with patient and hold on for a little bit we will get to you as soon as we get them we're we're turning around same day so as soon as we get them we're, we're getting them back out the door to people Doctor, have we been doing this long enough now to, to be able to extrapolate some, some data and some trends uh, with, with these numbers? Uh, for instance, I mean, you know, when I look at 70 new cases, or confirmed cases anyway, uh, from this past weekend, or the number is 70 anyway, uh, I, some, I, I don't want people to get the impression that all 70 of those are, are now in hospital because that's not the case, is it? No. In fact, we've had 10 people who have been in the hospital at all um, out of those 70 cases. So, that's good news. We're not seeing um, the number of people who are more sick in terms of needing ventilation and being in an intensive care unit. Um, but uh, that we are seeing some of that across the province. And it's a reminder that uh, that is what we're, tr- we're flattening the curve for, right, is we want to make sure that uh, as much as possible, people don't get sick. Um, although we do know that we're flattening the curve, we're not eliminating it entirely at this point. Um, but we want to make sure that if people do get more sick, that there are intensive care unit resources, there are beds available, there are ventilators available for people who need them, and so spreading out those cases over time. So it's so very important for your own health um, in terms of following what we've been talking about with the physical distancing, making sure you're washing your hands. All those those measures are absolute, continue to be critical as we go through the the next many weeks. 
Well, with that in mind, we kind of use the phrase that we've all come used to now, of course, of flattening the curve. But the other curve, I guess, that, that we need to be cognizant of here are the number of people that are being admitted to hospital, in other words, with severe symptoms. Uh, over the weekend, uh, one of the stats that uh, Dr. Teresa Tam, the uh, chief public health officer for Canada, mentioned was, and I think it was about 3 in 10 of uh, the people that are, are actually diagnosed may end up in hospital. Uh, if that number starts to go up, uh, that percentage starts to go up, it sounds like we're going to be in real trouble. Yeah, I think we have to remember, too, that we're we're really seeing the cases that are most severe because of the, um, or that are, are a, a, a certain group of people, because of the challenges with testing, A, we have that backlog, so we haven't seen them all, but also we've had to restrict te- restrict testing somewhat. So we know it's out there in the community. We know for, you know, a large number of people, the majority of people, this is a fairly mild illness, sort of a significant cold. Um, But there are those for whom it does become more severe, especially those who are over 65, people who already have some underlying medical condition, although it does, uh, it's sometimes more severe in others as well. And so we do want to follow those numbers and see where they're at. And uh, as I said, that's particularly the group that we're, we're wanting to make sure we've got the resources to, to support them through this illness if they do become more severe. Initially, there was some uh, data released about, uh, about uh, demographics and about who, and as you mentioned, who might be more vulnerable. And uh, over 60s, uh, people with a, you know, pre-existing medical conditions, things of this nature. But we're seeing what some people think anyway, doctor, is an alarming number of people uh, under 35 that are also being hospitalized with this. So, and, and we thought at one point that it wasn't going to have much of an impact on children, but we know that there are children involved in this. So uh, even though there may be people that are more prone to this right now, nobody is, is really exempt from this, are they? No, nobody is exempt from it. And, and it's the same with influenza. You know, when we yeah. look at that, we do know that for um, even for, you know, healthy, well adults and sometimes even for kids, it can be a more severe illness. And unfortunately, that's the case with a, a lot of viruses and a, a lot of bacteria. And with this one, it seems to be somewhat uh, more than with the flu. But it's not uh, it's not the the SARS uh, virus that happened years ago either. So we're going to continue to track it and trace it, and um, and we'll really come to understand it over time. But uh, again, for the majority, it isn't that kind of severe illness, and we really do want to continue to make sure that people don't get sick and uh, and flatten that curve. So those resources are there for those that do. Uh, interesting statistic here from Angus Reid. Everybody's doing public opinion polls, of course, uh, over the last couple of weeks about this. Uh, maybe one of the most uh, disturbing statistics in this was 37% of the people that Angus Reid polled across the country uh, said that this this whole thing is overblown, and, and they are actually are not doing anything about this. They aren't doing any physical distancing. They're not washing their hands more often than not. Uh, that, that's an, an alarmingly high number, Doctor. Yeah, it is an alarming high, high number, you know, and I think we've really been trying to drive home the message that everybody needs to do their part. I think we've heard it, you know, mentioned the Prime Minister earlier, and we've heard it from him, we've heard it from so many people, and people really need to understand that this is a significant issue. They need to be paying attention to these rules and this guidance. I'm I'm very pleased to say that the majority of time when I'm out and about, when people are sending, you know, images of, of what they see, most people are getting it. Um, but it is so important they all do. And I think one of the things with going through this this backlog of cases that our, our colleagues at public health have been doing, our case managers, you can we are seeing that some people, though, aren't staying home when they're sick in those first days, not before they go for testing. 
But some people still aren't getting the message too that if you're sick, sick, stay home. And that applies whether we're talking about COVID right now or we're talking about flu season or any time. You know, whether it's a it's a cold or a or a stomach issue, we really need to stay home if we're sick and uh, and make sure we're not spreading these things to anybody else. You know, people do wonder, well, what can I do? And that piece about yeah, you can go out and get groceries. You could go out for a walk with a dog on the street, as long as you're maintaining that physical distancing, that's what's really key and doing that frequent hand washing when you come back in. Don't touch your your face, your your nose, your mouth, you know, unless you've washed your hands first. Um, so all of those are so key and it's really important that people get that message. Doctor, let's talk a little bit about uh, physical distancing, if we could. Uh, and again, it's something that you've been preaching, and of course, uh, Dr. Tam and others have been preaching since the, the uh, initial days of this. Uh, and there are some that are still doubting Thomas's about this and say, well, come on, that's what's, what difference is it going to make? But Dr. Tam also made a point over the weekend of suggesting that this was going to be a pivotal week because this is just around the time after the first few weeks of this that we could uh, actually get some some worthwhile data about whether or not physical distancing is actually doing uh, what it's supposed to do, i.e. to flatten that curve. Uh, do you agree with that? Absolutely. You know, we're, we're a week out from the end of March break now mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, coming up to the second week out. And so we've certainly seen a lot of cases that have still been amongst travelers who've come back um, from elsewhere. But we are also, um, you know, seeing the community spread piece. And for either group, for those of us that are around them, that, that distancing is, is key. And so as the travel group has passed through, we'll really get to see if that curve is staying flat, you know, continuing to have cases. It's not that we're expecting that we won't, but that the curve will not climb at an exponential rate as has happened in other countries. And so... This is a critical week to see the impacts. But remember, we're seeing the impacts of things we've been doing a week or two ago. And so, you know, if we see a little bit of a, of a, a benefit or if we're wondering if it's time to let up, it's not time to let up. We need to continue with this for some while yet. Maybe one of the more encouraging stats, uh, since we seem to be rolling around a lot of numbers here, uh, is in <laughs> British Columbia. They're a couple of weeks ahead of us, of course, because the, the, the virus seemed to start over there before it started to spread across to the other parts of the country. Uh, they have uh, s- determined from the stats they've looked at, Doctor, I know you've seen these uh, these numbers, that the, since they've initiated the physical distancing policy, uh, they've gone from about a 24% increase to 12%. So it, it, that seems to indicate that it's working. That's right. That's right. Encouraging news out of BC that that they are thinking there's an impact there from what they're doing. They're beginning to see it with their statistics. And so that's what we want to see, what we want to measure over the uh, next week or so. So is it fair to say then for those listening uh, that are trying to to follow the uh, the instructions and, and the suggestions that you and others have talked about here right now, uh, I, I don't want to say so far so good because the numbers are still rising, and that's that's problematic, obviously, and we're told that it's going to get worse before it gets better. Uh, but the fact that we are starting to comply with this for the most part, I mean, 37% maybe say they aren't, but the other, I guess, side of that coin is the majority of people are. Uh, are, are we doing what we need to do, or are there more measures that we should probably be thinking about at this stage? You know, I think, as, I, as we said, you know, by and large, people are doing what they need to do, it's always worthwhile to sort of sit back and reflect and say, okay, you know, am I doing it? Am I following these rules? Am I making sure I'm part of the, the 63% that are definitely saying that they're doing it? And how could I, you know, support other people so they can be part of that? Because somebody needs some help so somebody who's, you know, at higher risk can stay home and 
help them out by getting their groceries when you get yours and that sort of thing. And encouraging the people around us. It, it, there's some really interesting studies about how we influence other people's behavior. And even if people don't believe it, like that 37% Angus Reid talked about, if they start to see that everybody else is doing it, that that's the norm amongst them, they start to do it too. So even though they may not believe it, they'll do it if, uh, if they're seeing everybody else. So everybody doing it well, talking about how they're maintaining it, talking about how they're continuing to have, you know, a way to connect and, and live even under these circumstances. You know, people who are getting together and having, you know, FaceTime chats and, and having little internet-based uh, uh, social evenings together in new ways. It's really heartening to see how people are supporting one another, but also to help uh, get that message out so that even those who may not yet believe it can see it is the norm and it's what's expected of them. Doctor, with these stats, I know that there's no determination been made as of yet uh, in some circles uh, about the uh, the quarantine and closing of schools and, and, and things of this nature. Uh, but given the fact that the numbers are still on the rise in various parts of the country, including here in Ontario, uh, when they said they were going to close the schools till October 6th and, and, and gathering spots, theaters, things of that nature, would it be your recommendation right now that uh, that we stay with that quarantine and we stay with those restrictions uh, until we start seeing a drop in these numbers? You know, these things are going to get revisited uh, over sure. time, and uh, definitely it's too early to sort of predict out for months. But when we're talking about the coming weeks, I would I would think, given where we're at and what we're seeing in terms of case numbers, that we're going to be in this for some weeks yet. And, um, you know, we'll be waiting to have our, our provincial colleagues looking at the overall numbers and where things are going um, to make those determinations overall. But I think it's going to be a while yet, we're considering the numbers. Yeah, April 6th was a date that was set initially by some of the boards and by the province, which I thought was always kind of an arbitrary date to begin with. But uh, just the musings from the premier over the weekend and, and even the U.S. president, who seems to have changed his tune now and extended that to, uh, until the end of April. I'm, I'm getting the sense, doctor, that people are understanding just how severe this is. And it's not just something that's happening over there. It's something that's happening right here. That's right. And uh, it's very much happening right here, right here in North America, right here in Canada, right here in Hamilton. And I think that's a good example of how, you know, if you continue to influence people, you can uh, they eventually see that there's some shifts that need to be made. Dr. Elizabeth Richardson, the Chief Medical Officer of Health here for the City of Hamilton. Uh, by the way, we should always finish our conversations, Doctor, with giving a shout-out to the people that uh, are on the front line here. They're our health care workers. I think, I'm sure we all saw the, the videos over the new weekend news of, uh, of uh, hospital workers and, and front-line workers that are being applauded by those. Uh, for the great effort that they're doing. I mean, the, the amount of pressure on these people right now is immense, uh, and uh, they're doing incredible work, aren't they? Absolutely, and, and it, it's great to see the appreciation for these folks. You know, we have people who are working, you know, 12 hours a day to uh, to support people, and, of course, in the hospitals, in our paramedic service, you know, the police who are helping to enforce the orders that are out there, you know, people are working so hard and in very difficult conditions. You know, we're really trying to conserve our resources. Um, our nurses are, are having to make do with um, their personal protective equipment over um, long periods of time. And our, our long-term care facilities are trying their hardest to make sure that people who are vulnerable in them are protected. So, you know, big shout out to all of them that are doing such tremendous work under these difficult circumstances. And please keep it coming. It buoys the spirits of those that are uh, that are working through these times absolutely doctor thank you so much for the time we'll stay in touch as uh, this unfolds over the next few weeks but thank you again for today 
Thank you, Bill. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Prime Minister, will bring us an update on what's going on, and a very important update, too, because uh, we are apparently uh, going to get some details about the uh, the plan that he announced last week, and that, of course, is the uh, proposed wage subsidy program expected today. There have been billions and billions of dollars, of course, that have been allocated and, and uh, promised uh, by both the federal and provincial governments right across the country uh, to try to deal with this. And as I mentioned in my commentary at 810 this morning, it's just like dealing with a two-headed monster. Obviously, there's the pandemic itself and, and public health and, and the, the tragedy of the number of people that are becoming ill and the number that are dying. Uh, but at the same time, the, the elected officials are also cognizant of the impact this is having on the economy. And uh, it's it's interesting to see the reaction to that. And, and even those that are not necessarily used to, from a political standpoint anyway, uh, throwing money at problems like this, uh, it's absolutely necessary. And we've seen that happen here in Ontario and in other jurisdictions as well. And uh, it's a different animal. I know some people have been saying, well, these are bailouts and handouts. Uh, but as uh, the governor of the Bank of Canada said, Mr. Polo said last week, uh, that's not a handout. We're not recovering from something here. We're actually trying to tide people over until this crisis is over. It's a different situation altogether. And, uh, you know, when's that going to happen? I know a couple of columnists that I wrote over the weekend were saying, well, how come the government's not giving us any inkling as to when they're going to ease some of the restrictions that are on here? Uh, I think the first one that we can extrapolate from what we've heard from our political leaders is not until the numbers go down. And the numbers are not going down yet, uh, which, you know, indicates that what we're doing, we have to keep on doing. And as I say, we heard that from uh, from Chief Medical Officer of Health over the weekend, uh, with the surge in the COVID-19 hospitalizations and intensive care admissions and deaths, uh, especially in Ontario, Quebec, and Alberta, uh, posing the greatest concern. Uh, The Chief Public Health Officer is very concerned about what's going to be happening over the next two weeks, especially. Uh, Teresa Tam, uh, Dr. Teresa Tam said the country is entering a very critical period uh, during which it's going to become clearer whether recent social distancing measures are st- starting to slow in the rate of the new cases. And until we see a decrease in those numbers of new cases, I think we can pretty much expect that uh, the status quo, i.e. no school, i.e. no s- gathering spots, no baseball games, etc., is probably going to continue. Uh, but obviously that's a decision that they're going to have to make, uh, and with, of course, the advice from the medical officers of health through the course of the country. And in the meantime, well, we have to have contingency plans from governments as to how they're going to deal with this and how we're going to deal with some of the problems that have been created. And that's the other half of this monster, of course, and that is the economic impact that it's having. Uh, late last week during one of his uh, update sessions, the Prime Minister talked about a proposed wage subsidy program. Uh, we're expecting to get some details about that. Uh, at 11 o'clock this morning when he addresses the country once again. Uh, joining us to talk about this is David Aiken, Chief Political Correspondent with Global News. Uh, David, good morning. Thanks for being with us today. Yeah, no problem. And that news was big news on Friday that the federal government was going to provide employers of small and medium-sized businesses with a wage subsidy equivalent to 75% of your employees' wages. And uh, there wasn't a business group that I didn't see that wasn't jumping up and down, the Chamber of Commerce, Canadian Federation of Independent Business. But there's details, uh, details, details. Like, for, for example, this is aimed at small and medium-sized business, but how big is a medium-sized business that qualifies? Is, do you draw the line at 250 employees, 500 employees? 
So yeah, that's just one of the details, important details. We hope to learn today when the PM does, uh, I guess, what is now his daily uh, press conference outside Rideau Cottage. Uh, that'll happen at 11.15. Uh, will there be a, a cap on this uh, subsidy? Will this subsidy uh, go for months or weeks or, you know, all these sorts of things? Uh, businesses are, are excited about this subsidy. They're keen because businesses want to keep their employees. I mean, that's, that's going to be vital to come out of this thing, that workforces can stay together. Uh, that's going to be very important. And so employers are looking for ways to keep their employees, and, and they think this might be one of the ways to do that. But how prescriptive are they going to be with this, David? I mean, you know, no matter what they do, and there's always going to be winners and losers in this, and some people are going to get pretty ticked off that they don't qualify. Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, uh, again, it's, it's uh, I mean, just a small business alone. I mean, think how many thousands of, uh, we're talking businesses, say, 30 employees or 40 employees. That's uh, that's the vast majority of businesses in the country, and probably the ones least able to, you know, afford a long downturn or have the size to go to a bank and say, "Can you lend me, uh, lend me some money?" Um, so yes, I'm certain there's still going to be some, some griping. We have seen some griping already about some of the other business support programs mm-hmm. being provided by the BDC and EDC, the BDC Business Development Canada and the EDC Export Development Canada. They have existing programs to support businesses, and they've been saying that the new supports that they will be providing because of some separate government subsidies will basically follow the rules of their old programs. Among them, uh, for the BDC, you have to have been in business for two years to qualify for support from the BDC. So that's kind of tough. Obviously, startups would be some of the businesses that are hurting the most. Um, You can't be a nightclub. You can't be a restaurant. Um, you can't be a pot company. We now have cannabis manufacturers that are out there that they may need some assistance. They don't qualify through BDC and EDC. So there's some winners and some losers right there. That's separate from this wage subsidy thing. But, uh, again, the PM, I, I'm sure, is going to want to roll out the details um, about uh, who's going to get this wage subsidy and who isn't uh, as fast as possible so that businesses can make uh, the appropriate adjustments. David, you've talked about this with your reporting over the last four or five days on Global National. I wanted to, to get your comment about about the the efficacy of these programs. It sounds great when any politician, in this case the prime minister or a premier, whomever, says, "Here's what we're going to do in the way of uh, assistance packages." Uh, but if it's slow getting out the door, and that that seems to be almost a pattern with government programs at any level these days, uh, how catastrophic can that be to some of these businesses? Well, I mean. This, this is, that's, you're right, that's absolutely a question, how fast and when's the money coming. As the Prime Minister himself noted last week, uh, we are going to hit the first of the month this, this, this week, April the 1st, and rent is going to be due, and, uh, you know, how much uh, wiggle room will landlords uh, be able to give their tenants, and, of course, landlords have to pay uh, bills as well, utilities and so on. Uh, so we'll see. On the Canada Emergency Response Benefit, that's the CERB, and that's the one that's the payment going directly to individuals, employees or self-employed people. This is not a wage subsidy. This is essentially something that uh, uh, is better and beyond uh, employment insurance benefits. But again, this is aimed at those who are self-employed as well. So the, the best we've heard about that is the Canada Revenue Agency is ramping that up. They're the ones who are going to deliver it. This is the tax, tax man. And um, hopefully most Canadians now have an online tax account with CRA, if you don't have one, now's a good time to set yourself off, set yourself up online with the CRA, including direct banking deposit. And what we've heard is the CRA is going to be ready to start taking applications for this CERB benefit, and that is a $2,000 a month people could get. They're going to start taking applications on 
we've been told the week of April 6th, so circle that, and then it could be up to 10 days once your application is in when the check rolls. And if you've got, if you've got direct deposit checking, you know, it'll be right there. If you want it mailed, you know, you're talking another 10 days. So think about that. You apply on April 6th, it's probably going to be at least 10 days from that. Now we're middle of April, and another 10 days after that, towards the end of April now, if you want a mail check. So that's just one example of a government program, and that is literally working as fast as governments can work. I mean, I've been watching government for a long time. Mm-hmm. It's true. They're big, huge, slow things. But getting a program, then get this, look at this, Bill, as many as, they're expecting as many as 3 million Canadians to apply for that Canada Emergency Response Benefit on April the 6th. So here's a government agency that's ramping up, getting ready to basically get, boom, 3 million people coming online or on the phones to, uh, to get this benefit. But that's... Again, they're, they're going as fast as they can, but that's still not going to be fast enough for a lot of people. Well, exactly, and therein lies the problem. I mean, are they ready? I, I mean, even from a staffing standpoint, David, to handle that, that huge influx in such a short period of time. Uh, because it's, it's not as just a, hey, David, uh, Aiken applied, okay, here's your check. I mean, there's going to be some sort of a, an evaluation process that goes in there too, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, you, you can you have software do a whole lot of things in terms yeah. of checks and do, you, uh, do this and do that. And, of course, because the CRA is doing it when you apply through their account, you know, if you're a tax filer, um, then they will know your tax situation and get up and get a sense of, you know, are you a millionaire trying to get 2000 bucks a month? It's a taxable benefit, too, I should point out. So at the end of the day, you are going to have to settle up with the government. Uh, you know, there, there's, this is one of the areas where even though we've seen the partisanship sort of dial down a fair bit during this time, and this is provincial or federal, this has been one of the areas around where there's been some argument, I guess, some people saying uh, that the best way to do this is just is just the, the CRA already has the address of every tax filer. So if you filed a tax return last year, why doesn't the CRA just send everybody a check? Just uh, forget about applying. Just boom, get it out the door, and then you can settle up again at tax time next year. You know, maybe is that a quicker way to do things? Uh, could be, but then you might also be giving checks to people who don't need it. Uh, maybe help is going in the wrong areas. So. There are some people, this is where, you know, I wouldn't say arguments, but discussions and people are looking to improve the system. And then so far as this wage subsidy, just to bring it back to that, you know, businesses obviously will be trying to go, when is this wage subsidy coming down the pike? There's a, also a, a, a loan program that the, the federal government will give loans of up to $40,000 to small businesses. Um, when does that loan program come in? How does it uh, take into effect? Can a small business go to the bank right now and say, listen, I'm getting a loan from the government. Can you lend me some money for the next you know, two weeks? Um, all these details are urgently needed, obviously. I, interesting discussion I had with a, a neighbor of mine from a fair distance away over the weekend uh, who has some accounting backgrounds. And he says, look, at it, if you get this money from CRA, if you already have a, a, an amount owing to CRA, like if you get a, a tax refund this year and you already owe them $5,000 from last year, they don't give you the money. They simply apply it to the balance that you already owe them anyway. Uh, is that going to apply here, David, or is that money going to go right into the people's hands no matter what, and we'll deal with the balances later? Yeah, to be honest, I don't know the answer to that, but you're quite right. If you uh, file a tax return this year with a refund and you owe it from last year, they're going to they're gonna take last year's bite first. There's no question. But yeah, this, yeah. the... the Canada Emergency Response Benefit is, is part of your taxable income. And so that means that, yes, CRA would deal with you next year. You'd get the money right okay. now. It will be part of your taxable income. And if you do owe taxes at the end of next year, well, then you're going to have to deal with that. But the, CR, the, CRB, the CRA does not want to be doing essentially many tax audits of people who are applying for these 
uh, claims right now because that would just drag the system down. I'm completely expecting it to be largely an automated system in terms of approvals or disapprovals, and they'll only bring in the human beings or, you know, uh, you know things that are, are gray, that the computer program says, uh, so I'm not really sure about this. We ought to check this out. It, on the EI front, I mean, we talk about human beings versus computers approving you. That's why the EI claim process can be such a laborious one, because there is a lot more sort of wiggle room, gray areas. It's different across the country. There's 17 EI zones, uh, et cetera, et cetera, and that is a little more labor-intensive. And EI is still going. People can still apply for EI. We know a million and a half Canadians have done so already. Um, this new Canada Emergency Response Benefit, uh, that's to be something new and separate and a little more automated, I suppose. Well, uh, with David Aiken, Chief Political Correspondent with Global News. David, you've referenced the banks a couple of times, and the Prime Minister talked about them last week and said they are, quote-unquote, in discussions with the banks about a number of different things. Uh, this whole process and, and uh, the angst that a lot of people were feeling would be, probably be a lot smoother if the banks were on side and offering something. And uh, it, I tell you, getting governments to get the banks to do anything in, in the way of concessions or lowering interest rates or, or you know holidays on mortgages, things of that nature, uh, is is uh, difficult at the best of times. Uh, is there any chance at all that the banks are going to come on side and offer some relief of, the, of their own? Well, Finance Minister Morneau has been asked about this a few times, and I guess the first step yeah. is, is credit card interest rates, right? Obviously, yeah. uh, longer-term mortgage rates are still pretty low, and, they, and they're going to stay low for a while. But we're talking about credit card interest rates. And, yes, that's something that that uh, Morno has said he's talking to the banks about. Um, can they order them to do something? Um, I suppose. Don't forget, provinces, well, I guess I'm just saying provinces, do they have the power to do these things too? Banks, of course, are federally regulated, so that's, it's probably going to have to come down to the federal government trying to do something. Uh, but the federal government could, can invoke powers that give it uh, power to price products. And, of course, a credit card interest rate is the price you pay for borrowing money. And so presumably there is... Uh, there would be some authority, should the federal government want to exercise it, in an emergency powers sort of situation to uh, price the cost of credit. Uh, I don't think we're – my sense is we're not there yet. I think Morneau wants to see what he can get the banks to do on their own. Well, we saw this uh, this act before, didn't we, in the uh, 2009 uh, recession, of course, when Jim Flaherty, the finance minister, uh, tried to do the same thing about interest rates and uh, with, with limited amount of success. I think they offered some different programs and different kinds of cards, and there was a minimal bit of movement there. But, uh, boy, it's it's very difficult to try to get the banks on side with this because they always come back with their argument that, look, we have a responsibility to shareholders, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so it, I, I wish the finance minister good luck, but, boy, it's, it's going to be a daunting task to try to get them to do anything. Yeah, I think the key for the banks in 2008-09, and now again, it's really around uh, credit, uh, making sure that there's enough actual money in the bank for the banks to lend money to businesses. So this is separate from the credit card, the consumer credit card business, and really along the lines of making sure that um, companies that need to uh, extend a line of credit or establish a new line of credit on their on their facilities, that the banks are, uh, that the banks cannot use an excuse by saying, I'm sorry, we're tapped out, we, we've hit our legally mandated limits for how much money we're allowed to lend. And so we've seen, for example, just as we saw in 08-09, the federal banking regulator has relaxed the ratios by which banks have to maintain a certain amount of cash versus their ability to lend. And again, that's with the idea that they don't want a bank to say, we're tapped out, we can't lend anymore. It's very important banks 
continue to have the lending capacity for businesses that are going to have to take out lines of credit and so on. David, just about a minute and a half left here, and I know it's a busy day for you today with the Prime Minister about to speak in about an hour, Uh, but you mentioned uh, travel restrictions in an earlier report, and uh, obviously we've talked about international travel, and we know those restrictions have been in place. Uh, Domestic travel restrictions right now, but uh, is is there a possibility that we're going to see even more tightening of those restrictions? Well, and here's the dumb thing in my mind, Bill, is that we need a rule to tell people, if you're sick, don't get on a plane. I mean... That seems sort of common sense to me right now, but we have had now to pass that rule, and that rule will go into effect at uh, noon today. You can't get on a domestic flight now if you're exhibiting exhibiting any signs. You can't get on a via train if you're exhibiting any signs. And I should have checked to see if that included the go train. I'm not exactly sure, but uh, via, you cannot get on a uh, via train if you wish to, if you're sick. Those rules don't apply to transit. Uh, so I'm guessing that might be go, but certainly uh, municipal transit as well. Uh, and they don't apply to interprovincial bus traffic. So um, uh, I guess if you're sick and you have to travel, you can, you're not prohibited from doing so. But, again, every public health official and your, your mom, she would tell you, don't go anywhere if you're feeling ill. As much as you can, stay home and avoid crowds, particularly if you've got any symptoms. And, uh, yes, we, there may be some more restrictions on that if people don't generally, you know, use that common sense, which we're all given, not to be running around anywhere if you're sick. David Aiken. Uh, David, as always, thanks so much for this. Uh, Prime Minister speaks in about an hour, and I guess you'll be reporting that, of course, on Global National later on tonight, and we'll be watching. Thanks again, David. Oh, Take care and stay no healthy. Problem. Cheers. Take care. David Aiken, of course, up in Ottawa, uh, and other global folks are going to be up there, too, of course, uh, listening to what the Prime Minister has to say and uh, questioning some of these policies and, and the efficacy of some of those. And I, I, I know we've seen some of the comments uh, from some of the uh, pundits over the weekend about, you know, are we going too deep into the financial hole here? Uh, and I guess the greater question is, uh, what price do we pay if we don't? And we're going to talk about that in greater detail later on. That, uh, yeah, these are, in some people's minds, uh, measures, financial measures that we've ne- have seen before because of the crisis. But it's a crisis. And if we don't do this and those uh, fatalities continue to mount, uh, well, you know, I, I don't want to ever think that, well, you know, we could have and should have done more, but we didn't. And look what happened as a result. It's a tough balancing act to make. I understand that. But there is a price to pay economically for this, too which we will delve into. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Speaking of politicians and dealing uh, with the the crisis, uh, some have impressed, uh, some more so than others. uh, And among those that uh, I think pleasantly have surprised an awful lot of people with the way they've handled this is the Ontario government and uh, Premier Doug Ford, who has uh, seemingly uh, taken a leadership role in this, uh, maybe more so than some of the other prime ministers and premiers uh, across the country. And uh, interesting to see his response and his reaction uh, to a number of the things that are going on right now. He's never been one to mince words, obviously. Uh, and that was evident last week when uh, he heard these stories about uh, people that were jacking prices up to try to take advantage of the crisis. We're going to come after them uh, hard. Anyone who who wants to try to uh, gouge the, the public. So it's a, a clear warning. If you plan on gouging, we're going to catch you, and you will be charged. 
And he's apparently going to try to back that up, too, with some substantial fines that are involved in this. A couple of different public opinion polls have showed the prime minister's approval rating gone up significantly in the last two weeks because of his handling that. But I think you're probably going to see similar uh, results uh, when uh, Doug Ford's uh, process, uh, Doug Ford's uh, behavior in this whole thing is, is analyzed. Let's ask Richard Brennan about this. Yeah, Richard, of course, retired journalist with the Toronto Star who covered Queen's Park and Parliament Hill for many years. Uh, Badger, I hope you're healthy. How are you doing today? I'm just fine, thanks, Bill. Yourself? Uh, so far, so good. Of course, broadcasting from home, physical dis- distancing, of course, and doing what we can at this end, and, and watching with great interest uh, the, the performance of the politicians. And let's focus in on the Premier, if we could, Richard. Uh, this is a guy who's come under a great deal of criticism since he became Premier. Uh, a lot of it justified, quite frankly. But uh, this seems to be a different Doug Ford we've been watching since uh, this, this crisis uh, happened here, especially the COVID-19 crisis. Well, this pandemic has has really, I, I guess what I've got to say is, you know, in, in terms of, you can tell how a politician is really at the core of themselves and how they react to a, a significant event like this. We've seen what what Trump's doing down in the States, which is certainly not what I'd like to see. And we, we have Mr. Ford here, the Premier of Ontario, and he's acting like the Premier of Ontario that I would expect. Uh, I would expect an elder states person, and he's, he's been that, I would expect someone who's willing to cooperate with the federal government and his other premiers. And we've seen that. And he has stood out among all of them, I think, in terms of the way he's handled this. Interestingly enough, though, and and I'm just trying to extrapolate what we've seen and and some of the discussions we've had in the past, and when we've seen some of the faux pas uh, in the past, you and I both agreed that, look, at there's some really smart people around there. Uh, you know, in this particular case, you know, from the medical professions and public health, but uh, you finance everything else. He seems to be listening to this advice right now, he, he, as opposed to the guy down in, in Washington that seems to want to be the most important person and the only knowledgeable person there who loves to hog the podium. Uh, the premier uh, seems to bow to the expertise of public health and says we'll enact policies based on the information that they give us, which is really the way the process should work, isn't it? Well, it is. And, and you know, he's, he gives the political point of view in terms of what the province is prepared to do for you and I. And, and that's where we, what we want to hear from them, what re- regulations, what rules are you bringing in that will help us, what financial, what financial aid you're prepared to give. But he doesn't stand up there and prattle on about the coronavirus itself. He allows the experts to tell people where we're at and what we can expect. And he doesn't get involved in that, and, and rightfully so, he turns to the expert. And I think that's what's been very valuable. Rather than having a politician standing there and, and preening and, you know, just prattling on, like I say, and he hasn't, he hasn't done that. I mean, I've, I've, I've gained a whole new respect for this, uh, for this premier during this time. I hope he keeps it up. He showed... He showed strength, he showed empathy, and he showed a willingness to move when he has to move on something. And what more can you ask, really? The other element about this that I've, I've really been impressed with, with uh, his daily briefings and with some of the pronouncements that he's made as well, is uh, 
he's taken the partisanship out of this whole thing. And, and that must have been difficult for him because, I mean, from the day he became premier, I mean, he, he was at odds with the prime minister on a whole different things and blaming the previous Wynn government for everything. And he could have done that. Uh, quite easily, you know, that because uh, a lot of his supporters, uh, the pundits in, in the media, that they're big Doug, fan, Doug Ford fans, have said, you know, you know, blame this, blame this, blame the prime minister, blame Kathleen Wynne. He's, he hasn't gone down that road at all. He just says, here we are right now. This is the crisis. Here's how we're handling that. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, some of the other premiers haven't had the opportunity or the ability to take the high road, but he has. Well, certainly he's he's been given good advice, and he's taken that advice. He's, he's looked at the situation and said, this is no time for politicking. This is no time for bickering among the parties. This is the time to settle in and get the job done. And he particularly won support, I think, among many people, including myself, when he took a hard stand on these companies that are abusing, <clears throat> how can I, ripping people off, for lack of a better expression, in terms of like what we found out last week where the one, one store was selling a hand sanitizer at an extraordinary price. And he said, you know what, we're not going to allow this to happen. This is outrageous, and we're going to do something about it. And people applaud that. They want, they, well, first of all, I think people are sick and tired of hearing about hoarding and, and people trying to take advantage financially and otherwise of this of this uh, coronavirus. And he's saying, no, you're not going to do it. We're going to stop you. And that's what wanna, people want to hear. They don't want others to take advantage of this situation. And he's doing something about it. You know, a fine of up to $100,000 if you, if you uh, gouge people. I, I mean, you take the bad with the good. I mean, I do have a criticism about the relief package that he's offered, and I don't think he's done a very good job of, of getting money into the hands of Ontarians. He's, the business end of it, I think he's done a pretty decent job of covering that and trying to offer those support packages. But uh, as we've talked about on the program here, I mean, rents are due tomorrow, uh, mortgages are due tomorrow, uh, utility bills are due. Oh, and yeah. There's a lot of people without any money right now, and he hasn't really addressed that yet. Well, it, you're, Bill, you've, you've nailed it there. And that, if there's one criticism, absolutely. But that's a criticism that can be applied to the federal government as well. Absolutely. And, and you talk about, you know, it's all well and good to say, well, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. But you have to, and this will not sit well with people, but you have to understand trying to get the government to do anything is trying to like turn the Queen Mary around. Mm-hmm. It just takes forever. It takes patience, and I, quite frankly, I don't blame people if they don't have it. But this money's coming, but it's certainly not coming as fast as they would like it, and certainly not coming as fast as it should, quite frankly. But that's the way governments are. It, I mean, this money's going to come, but I hope it comes a heck of a lot sooner, and, and I expect it will. Well, we'll be watching to see just uh, what kind of updates, and I'm sure there'll be some sort of a response to the Prime Minister's uh, announcements uh, later on today. Uh, Badger, as always, thanks so much for this. Great talking with you again. Stay healthy, and we'll talk again soon. Same to you, Bill. Take it easy. Richard Brennan, of course, uh, who worked at Queen's Park many, many years, of course, as a reporter for the Toronto Star and journalist. Uh, what about this week? We've talked to, to Dr. Elizabeth Richardson, uh, the Hamilton Medical Officer of Health, uh, about the, the importance of this week. 
And uh, it's 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 a, a very very important pivotal time we're told by uh, public health officials right now, as they track exactly what's happening. I want to deal specifically, of course, with the Canadian situation. Uh, we, we've talked a great deal and heard an awful lot about what's happening in New York, and it's just tragic. Uh, the number of people that have died in such a short period of time. We're told uh, Reggie Cicchini, our global news uh, reporter from Washington, tells us that Michigan now is starting to spike with some high numbers about the people that are involved in cases that, that are involved in this, and that's problematic. Uh, especially, and, and again, to get back to the Canadian perspective on this, uh, a couple of states that are bordering our, our country. Uh, and uh, it's very, very concerning, obviously, when you see these high numbers uh, and wonder if it's going to start to bleed in here. We already, of course, have, uh, I guess it's the second highest number of cases in Canada here in Ontario. Quebec is st still slightly more than we do. Uh, and that's concerning. And uh, what we want to see here is a downward trend, as you've all heard, flattening the curve. And uh, clearly we're not there yet. And that, that seems to be problematic for us. So uh, to that end, I want to bring uh, Alison Thompson into the conversation, uh, Associate Professor of Pharmaceuticals and Sciences. She's a pro professor of public health services uh, and a professor of public health sciences uh, at the uh, Dallas School of Public Health at the University of Toronto. We talked with uh, uh, Professor Thompson uh, in the past about this, and it's always instructive, I think, to, to get some expert opinion about, as to how these numbers actually equate. I mean, these are big numbers, and they can be scary numbers for a lot of people. Uh, especially when you see the impact that this is having, uh, not just with numbers, but I mean, when you start hearing some of the humanity of this, the stories of this, and how it's impacting people and families. And we saw some of those testimonials, I guess, over the weekend uh, from people that have actually survived uh, with COVID-19 and struggled with it, uh, including one of our our own, Anthony Farnell, of course, a global news meteorologist who uh, contracted COVID-19 and uh, was going through this. And he and many others simply said, look, don't think this is just a bad strain of the flu. It's much, much worse, as evidenced by the number of fatalities that are concerned. So how do we track how it's, what's happening and how do we try to flatten that curve? Uh, let's bring uh, Professor uh, Allison Thompson into the conversation. Uh, Professor, thank you so much again for the time. Great to have you with us on the program today. Great to be here. Uh, over the weekend, of course, Dr. Teresa Tam, the uh, Chief Public Me Officer of Health for the Canadian government, uh, suggested this is a pivotal week to try to track what are, uh, the numbers, whether or not we are bending the curve, whether we are flattening the curve, uh, whether physical distancing is actually starting to pay off. And it, as, a, as in many people's minds, the, the one main tool that we as the public have. How important is this week as, as we look at the, the statistics that are going to be coming out? Well, I guess it's the week where we will know whether what we, we've uh, put into place so far is actually working because there is about a two-week delay between when we implement social distancing measures and when we actually start to see an effect on the numbers that are arriving in hospitals and, and primary care. So this will be a, a telling week, and hopefully it will provide more motivation for people to continue um, cooperating with public health in, in curtailing the spread. If those numbers are, are what we think they might be, and, and we do start to see some decrease, I guess it's a little uh, premature to suggest that we're going to see us flattening the curve, but if we can at least slow the progress of that, uh, would that be a, a, a small victory for us? Absolutely. And, you know, the, the key thing here is um, that we want to, want to slow down the spread so that our resources in the healthcare system can actually cope with the numbers of people who are sick. So um, we're not going to completely eradicate it unless we take some kind of extra draconian measures. But 
we can see that we're actually allowing the capacity of the healthcare system to ramp up uh, while numbers are going down, and that should serve us well. We're not going to see any seismic shifts, though, are we? I mean, from you know the number of increases in the number of reported incidents now, all of a sudden, oh my God, it's dropped off to almost nothing. This is this is probably yeah. going to be a gradual process, isn't it? Absolutely, and there's some other factors as well that are are coming into the mix, which may um, make it a little hard to interpret the numbers. First of all, we had uh, a large number of people returning to Canada from abroad, which means that we have uh, a large number of new imported cases arriving, and that's that's why we have been asking people to stay in self-quarantine when they come back from March break trips and all the snowbirds returning from their homes in the south. And also, we've also been ramping up testing. So some of the bumps in the numbers is due to the fact that we're actually doing more testing and clearing the backlog of tests that we've been waiting for the results of. So um, those numbers that, that we see this week will have to be interpreted carefully so that we don't get discouraged if they actually go up. It could be a result of increased testing as well. But what we're told by just about anybody who's looking at these numbers, though, is is that as large as these numbers are, with the number of reported cases on a national basis, uh, it's probably much, much greater than that. Because a lot of these, as you mentioned, part of it is testing, but a lot of them, people just don't go to that extreme. They don't go to that process. They just stay at home and do it and, and go through this by their own. They are our statistic, but they're not a registered statistic when we start looking at numbers here. That's right. So we, we really don't know, um, if you want to put it this way, what the denominator is for this yeah. outbreak yet. Um, and it's going to be a long time until we, we do figure that out. Our best guesses are based on other jurisdictions that have already seen a big um, spike in numbers. And there is some reason to think that even in, in China, the fatalities were actually a lot higher than they were reporting. So um, it's always hard to tell... Uh, with China because they aren't a transparent country. They don't uh, tend to share their their uh, outbreak communications with the, the rest of the world. So we're kind of flying blind in that respect. But it's a, it's a fair assumption that there are a lot more people out there that have it than are actually, you know, popping up on the on the radar of public health at this point in time. Professor, always great to get your analysis and uh, your perspective on this. Thank you so much for the time. My pleasure. Take care. That's Professor Allison Thompson, of course, from the University of Toronto. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.